Today I decided to believe in hell just so I could believe that these two idiots were burning there. Oh yeah, I fucking good. I'll, good. Yeah, <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Forever and ever and ever and eternity. Amen. Amen. Hi, Julian Benzavali. Hey, Patrick Hines. Oh, my goodness, fam. When you were hearing this, we are less than one month <gasps> away from opening night for our spring-summer live show tour. Oh, my. You get right out of town. I know. We're opening at the Wilbur. We Wilbur. are out of town. We, I, we will be out of <laughs> we town. We will be out of town. It's going to be a party in Boston. Come see us June 2nd at the Wilba. I would like to implore you to come to Obsess Fest. If you're on the fence, if you're thinking about coming alone, but you're scared, come alone and make 100 million new friends. Yeah, they're always like solo traveler meetups and everyone's ready and you're never really alone when you're with us. What right? was your favorite memory from year one? From year one. Oh my God. When it first started, like just seeing the absolute like magnitude of people <laughs> yeah. and everyone was so nice to each other and everyone was just like, it's, I was just, just being there with everyone. It's going to be part. so crazy. I'm going to be signing all the books. I'm going to be meeting all the people and everyone from year one is coming back. We've got Roberta Blevins from Lula Rich coming. We've got Shayna Landry who's going to do genetic genealogy. We've got so many people. It's going to be amazing. It's October 20th to the 22nd in Dallas, Texas. Go to ObsessedFest.com to get all the information, see all the announced guests. We're going to start announcing programming really soon. Oh, great. I think we're doing a big dance called the Garbage Ball. We're going to do like a dance with people. So I have to bring a fancy outfit? Yeah, just one. Just one. Okay. Come to the Garbage Ball at Obsessed Fest. Oh my God. I'm so excited. That's so fun. Girl, what are we talking about today. All right, so there's the show called World's Most Evil Killers, yes. and this is their episode on the Hillside Stranglers, because we decided we don't want to live in this world for any more than one episode, yeah. because they're so terrible. Yeah. November the 13th, 1977. Los Angeles, California. Schoolgirls Dolores and Sonia were on their way home from a day shopping, when two police officers stopped them for questioning. But the so-called policemen were in fact killers. The partners in crime went on a killing spree, murdering 10 young women in just four months. Many were dumped on hillsides across LA, lending the killers their infamous name, the Hillside Stranglers. These two were not going to stop until they were caught. This had a really devastating effect on the lives of women in Los Angeles. The deadly duo terrorized the streets of L.A. whilst masquerading as police officers. They raped and tortured victims as young as 12 during their sickening rampage, making Angelo Bono and Kenneth Bianchi two of the world's most evil killers. This whole thing is British, and I was like, I I could... (laughs) This narrator needs to calm down. I know. That's what I said. I, I couldn't decide if it was trashier because it was British or less trashy. It's him. It's the narrator. Sp- <laughs> like November the 13th, 1977. <laughs> Los the, Angeles. I know. And then pause. California. California. It's those kinds of accents that make me want to say, hello, governor. I know. At all times. You love that. It's not my fault. You love saying it. Hello, governor. And this is my thing. It's oh, like, nothing? this is really, no. Okay. I'm just going to try to. You're going you're gonna to vroom right I'm going to vroom <laughs> right by it on my trolley. Hello, governor. No, that's the elevator. Yeah. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Sorry, everyone from... <laughs> across the pond. Um, yeah, like, you don't have to really over-enunciate because this is terrible. It's you true. can say this in a very monotone, hushed tone, yes. and I would still understand that this is terrible. 
Yeah, so we're starting on December 14th, 1977. We're starting with the Hillside Strangler's ninth victim. Yes. And I don't know why we're starting there. I guess they wanted to show, like, how far, how brazen they got. It got really brazen, and this all happened in, like, the span of, like, six weeks. Yeah, it did. They killed ten people in the span of six fucking weeks. Right, so it's December 14th, 1977. We're in L.A. On a deserted hillside overlooking the city, 17-year-old Kimberly Martin was found dead. Dead by two paperboys doing their morning rounds. To talk about the brazenness here for a second, like they are quote dumping the. We hear that word a billion times. I hate. We I need a different word. I know. This is where they put the body of right. the person that they murdered. Right. But they put the body on a hillside overlooking beautiful sunny downtown Los Angeles, and they do it like facing the courthouse as like a big fuck you to L.A. My thing is like, why is nobody seeing them put the body I there? Know. Like right. th- these two fucking goomba jabronis. Are we allowed to say sure, that? Sure. Yeah. Okay, great. I don't claim these assholes. They're put. Putting these bodies in public fucking places right. in the middle of the night, but still, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it is all very brazen how nobody saw anything. Everyone needs to pay more fucking attention. Right. And, like, you can see, like, th- this photo is a very famous photo. Yeah. And you can see, yeah, it's not, like, in, in the woods. It's very, like, that. the point was that it was so they out were, in the open. They never, I mean, they're called the Hillside Strangler because they're never putting them in the woods. They're putting right. them, like, next to houses in neighborhoods where they, like, grew up or whatever. Right. But this woman is the ninth victim. She was 17 years old and she was a sex worker. And I guess the reason we're starting with her is because... Like, at this point, L.A. is in a fucking frenzy. It's, it's L.A. Like, in the 70s. We've discussed this. I, at I mean, serial like, killers uh, at every bar stool. It's like the Night Stalker and the Golden State Killer, these assholes, yeah. and like a ton of other people. Like, Zodiac at, Killer? At the same time. Yeah. Zodiac was kind of on the way out, but still. Okay. Okay. <laughs> or was he? I don't know. Who, I, who knows? In response, firearm sales went through the roof, and the women of L.A. made preparations to defend themselves. Women were taking physical defense lessons, buying guns, getting stuff to prevent themselves on the street to keep from being assaulted. So, again, the firearm sails through the roof, and I'm like, there was a lot going on in that area to make it happen. Let's not all blame these guys. Yeah. Fuck them. It was a scary time. We're seeing a VHS tape of a women's self-defense class. It is... (laughs) Okay. It's a it's one part killer Sally cuz like the woman in it looks very strong and pretty. Okay, yes, she's wearing like a full on polyester suit yes. with the bell bottoms. Yes. But the guy is just standing there and she's doing these moves on <laughs> right. like a ta- like that move where you're supposed to like put your palm to their nose yeah, it's like and an whatever. Yeah, uppercut or whatever. What? No. Is an uppercut like that? Who knows? You're right. asking me. Could you imagine me in a fight? <laughs> a lot of that. <laughs> But the guy's not fighting back at all. He's just standing still. And I'm like, I understand. Maybe this is the, the basics. But yeah. if, the whole point is that if you're being attacked, the guy isn't just going to be standing no, there like this. I know. I know. She'll hit him, turn to the camera, smile, pose. You got to be pretty, ladies. You got to be pretty while you're fighting for your fucking life. She is, as they say, serving. Can we talk about this author, this guy, Jeffrey Wansel? I hate him. Okay. This, he really, he's one of those guys. He's like the National Enquirer of it all. Exactly. That, that's who he wants to work for. But he's like in a three-piece suit complete with a pink bow tie. Not this impressed. This guy came yeah. dressed to the nines. All I could think of is that whenever I've sat for one of these like documentary interviews, yeah. I've literally had to take a t-shirt and turn it inside out because they all have my name on them. <laughs> they all say Patrick Leopardy. You got to go shopping and this is coming from me i hate shopping 
I know. I ordered like four shirts on Canva for Obsessed Fest. That's my whole wardrobe. Yeah. That's my, that's what I wear. I know. We went out last night. You were wearing a Patrick Liberty <laughs> I shirt. Know. It's endless. I know. I, I mean, they are cute though. I mean, we work hard on the merch. It's true. It's not even merch. I just made it myself. Oh, great. But anyway, I'm just saying this guy's in a three-piece suit with a pink bow tie. And meanwhile, directors everywhere are like, sir, could you just turn your shirt inside? Well, yeah, right. Well, I am not going to fall for the razzle-dazzle of Jeff because he's an asshole. I'm not, I don't care what kind of suit you have, buddy. I don't give a shit. I should know better than to take a sip of my water instantly before we're going to start talking about a guy like Jeff with the pink I mean, bow tie. It was almost everywhere. What's going to happen the one time I like you make me laugh so hard and I actually spit water on you? Let's cross that bridge. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Let's never let's cross ne- that bridge. Let's never. <laughs> let's not even build that bridge. Oh, my God. But anyway. He, he says, and he thinks they're great singers. He's worked on them. He's workshopped yeah, oh, them. 100%. But he says, I think that gave Bianchi and Bono pleasure. I think they took an absolute delight in the fact that they had taken a whole community by the throat, literally, and strangled the life out of it. Literally, and strangled the life out of it. And I said, bad form, Jeff. Bad Fuck off. form. Let's not do that. I know. And it's like, look, I know that we have a lot of shows here that have people like this. But he just is here to be the sensational. To gross. say the one-liners. Yeah. And it's like, I don't need one-liners. No, absolutely not. But we learned that our story begins in Rochester, New York. And I'm like, cute Book of Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> An American man named, like, I'm going to take you back to biblical times, 1823. <laughs> An American man named Joe living on a farm in the Holy Land of Rochester, Rochester, New New York. York. Yeah, I mean, this is where Angelo, the quote, eldest of the adoptive cousins, I didn't know what that, it took me a long time to find out that the younger guy, Bianchi, was adopted. Yeah. But Angelo, the older one of the two hillside stranglers, is born in 1934. Well, his name is Angelo Buono, but they call him Bono. Oh, I'm going to call him Bono the whole time. Is that fine? And then they call it, the other one, Bianchi, they call him Banky, and I'm like, they're basically like (laughs) Bozo and Biggie and these fucking doofuses like that's the vibe I get because no one says their name right and like they're both assholes so who, so cares? who cares but it's yeah, just I'm yeah. like it, there's a you in there right it's Bono Bono yeah Binky and Binky and Buono. Well, listen, Buono is born into like a dysfunctional family. The parents get divorced when he's five. His mom moves him to Glendale with his sister. And this is where we learn that Buono, I guess, is what his name is. Bozo. Okay, Bozo. The older of the killers. You could say that Bono was a troubled child. He had a very strange relationship with his mother, whom he uh, constantly accused of being a whore. Constantly accused of being a whore. Well, she was a sex worker. Yes. Here's the thing. This is from that guy, Jeffrey, with the pink bow tie, who says the WH word. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, because he says sex worker two minutes later. Right. He knows the difference. He must be quoting him. He and must and be then quoting. we don't know that it's a quote. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And the point is to say that Buono, Bozo, Bozo. had like a crazy relationship with his mother, who he claimed was a sex worker. Well, he hated her. Right. And he claimed as a child he saw a lot of what she was doing so he would like wait outside while she was performing her sex work or whatever yes but this is like according to Jeffrey with the bow tie this gives this kid a lot of uh, assumptions and ideas about what women should be they should not be like my mother they should be possessions of the man right. they should be kept in line and they should be made to do what we tell them to do oh gosh I, it oh <laughs> Something tells me that's not how you live your I'm life. I'm so tired. I know. I'm so tired. I know. I know. Uh, I know. And-
And then he's going to spend the rest of his life fucking torturing and killing women to prove his point. Right, like with his cousin. Like, I know. Please. So in his teenage years, Bozo dropped out of high school. He turned to crime. He was stealing things, taking cars for joy rides, hanging out with gangs. The rules don't apply to him because uh-huh. he's so fucking special. And then meanwhile, we meet his cousin, Kenny Alessio who everyone calls Bianchi. <laughs> how do you say it? It's Bianchi. It's Bianchi. Yes, that's how you said yeah, it. Bianchi. Yeah, Bianchi, exactly. But they're always like, it's like, whatever, Bozo and Binky, two fucking douchebags. Yeah, Jeffrey with the bow tie tells us that his mother actually was a sex worker. And he was very swiftly put out for adoption as a three-month-old infant. And he was adopted by Buono's mother's sister. And this is when he's adopted by Buono's, Bozo's, Bozo's. mother's sister. Right, his aunt, Bozo's aunt. Yeah, Francis and Nicholas are his adopted parents. Right. And, like, we learn that from a young age, his mother is convinced that there's something wrong with him. So she takes him to the doctor all the time. Right. And so I'm like, wait a second, was she a hypochondriac? Or is this, like, a woman's intuition thing where she's like, something's up with this Because there absolutely (laughs) is something wrong with him. Right. And, like, somebody, a criminologist who's not a doctor or a psychologist says to us, that kind of smothering can be just as bad as neglect. Ma'am, first of all, how do you know? Right. Second of all, there is something wrong with him. The mother knew this kid was fucked up. Yeah. When the kid's like eight years old and torturing animals, like, and you don't know what that means or what that is because nobody talks about it in that time. Right. Of course you bring the kid to the doctor. Because then we learned that he was a compulsive liar. Yeah. He was very difficult to control. And his dad died when he was a teenager. And then that British asshole, what's it, Jeff? Jeffrey. Says, so the male role model was removed and he was left swinging in the breeze. Fuck off, Jeff. Can my my lesbian mother and her partner who raised have me, a word? I would like to have a word with you and your pink bow tie. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Or I know. like anyone like non-binary? Like, nope. Like no one. If you're if you're not like a straight man, yeah. then you're blowing in the wind and like you're not having like are you? I, and your I, kids are fucked. Can I say this? And this wasn't made in the seventies, no. by the way, and it, it wouldn't have mattered. But this is like pretty current this year. I cannot tell you how Jeff. grateful I am that my father was not an influence in my life. You know what I mean? That I was like lucky and enough to be raised by basically two women uh-huh. and did not have that male role model father figure like that would have been so awful for me mostly because of who my dad is as a person or well, was yeah this is a very he's specific situation <laughs> yeah. a lot of dads are great I've met your dad he's, he's very great. nice he loves you but the point is just that like the idea that you would say out loud into a documentary camera right. that without a father figure this kid was fucked like as a point I like know. to make like well he didn't have a dad so now he's a torturous murderer <laughs> and it, like, is, yeah, it Jeff, explains everything but they she made this is fucked up. Despite being just 14, Bianchi's mother had big plans for the son she'd sheltered. At the funeral, she made Bianchi wear his father's shoes. They were far too big and he walked clumsily. But they were a symbol of who he had become, the man of the house. The point is, you're the man of the house now. Can you imagine, like, you're dealing with the fact that your dad just died, now your mother is making you be a surrogate husband, and, like, the ruler and runner of the house? That's fucking weird. Like, that's weird. Yes, yes. Don't do that. And this was the mom who was like, something's wrong with this creep. Right. Like, don't make him dress (laughs) like his father. Like, that is just adding to it. But what she did was, like, she would shelter him. So he couldn't date. He couldn't have any friends. She kept him close. And I'm like, well, that's not helpful either. No. She wouldn't let him date girls. So he's, like, secretly, I guess, dating this girl, Brenda, in high school, who he then marries the minute they graduate. She decides she wants to go on and have a career as a nurse, like, be an independent career woman. Mm -hmm. He can't handle that. So they get divorced three months later. And also, he just manufactured is like, and while we're here, you're also cheating on me, right. which I hope she was. <laughs> Don't, you get it, Brenda. Like, Can you imagine the relationship between Brenda and that mother-in-law? No, like... <laughs> I... I... <laughs> 
I know. Really bad. I know. Really like at the end of the day, I'm the luckiest person in the mother-in-law category. Oh my Judy god, is amazing. Yeah, she's diligent. She loves Daisy. Yeah, she drinks now, which is fun. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do think that there are ingredients. It's that whole nature versus nurture thing. Sure. When like you are predisposed to being, let's say, like a torturous serial killer. Okay. Maybe if you were raised in a loving, supportive home, you wouldn't end up being that person. But like this kid, born predisposed to being a torturing serial killer, mm-hmm. raised with all this kind of fucked up shit around him. And I'm not blaming the mother. No. I'm no, just no, no, saying no. that like he had a very hard life. There are a lot of factors involved There's a lot of here. factors. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. Now he's obsessed with becoming a cop, aren't they all? So <laughs> totally. I feel like that's every episode. Maybe now. because we we just we were just talking about this. Don't, we don't pick, pick up, up the, the phone. phone. Yeah. In 1970, he enrolled in college to study police science and psychology. He was absolutely obsessed with becoming a police officer. He applied to join the police several times and failed at doing that. This was a, a fixation for him throughout his life. But it never happened. They never accepted him. So he became a security guard instead. And this is the thing I don't understand. If you are obsessed with becoming a cop, the only thing that this guy did that made him not become a cop was he didn't pass the exams. So, like, if you're obsessed with becoming a cop, wouldn't you just study? get your act together. Just, like, fucking study and pass the test. Like, every time we learn that he, like, doesn't make it, I'm like, why? Right. Then did you really want to be a cop that bad? I mean, he like, in 1970, he enrolls in college to study police science and psychology. Sounds like he's willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. You're not going to make the fucking flashcards like I used to have to do. Maybe someone was like, he's a creep. Yes. This is not happening. Maybe. Yeah, but they don't tell us that. Like, they it don't. would be helpful to know if there was like a psychological exam that he failed. Yeah. If that's the kind of exam, that makes sense. But if it's like a multiple question, like cop quiz, <laughs> and I'm not saying that that's not hard. I'm sure that that is they have hard, multiple like, choice. Right. <laughs> you use the A, gun. B, <laughs> handcuffs. C, dagger. <laughs> D, none of the above. Right. Exactly. Have a conversation. Exactly. Meanwhile, Bozo is a career criminal. He's married and divorced twice. He has eight kids by three different women. And we learned that he was incredibly sexual and incredibly violent and incredibly sexually violent. And loves that that's his reputation. Loves it. You know what I was thinking learning that he had eight kids? Like, his descendants are out there. From three different women. I mean, like, he for sure, like, there are definitely descendants of this guy. Yeah. Which is like, I hold none of this against them, Right, they didn't do it. But, like, it's wild to be like, oh, yeah, the Hillside Strangler was my great uncle. Right, and it's interesting to me that he's been married and divorced that he like wanted to settle down like the urge right. to kill this one woman I think because he wanted it's to like it's the ownership it's th- because yeah. he, it's not that he wants to settle down like, and make a train life train her he, exactly. to be the perfect in his mind woman which is like impossible standards exactly and no matter what they did and we learn like all of the women that he's with like have since come forward or, or maybe at the time did and each of them described his abusiveness his drama threatened with a gun persistently kicked brutalized they were very aggressive sexually even with young young girls he pulled guns on them yeah yeah and then just out of nowhere these two bad guys meet and become best friends because they both fucking hate women so they bond over that because their mothers who are sisters are like you know what they're both a bunch of fuck ups yeah maybe they should live together yeah. and pull each other out of like they can just be bad influences on each other all the time yeah who's then, they thought it would, they would like cancel each other out like Jeffrey the guy in the pink bow tie blames us on his Italian heritage they're like that's just the way it is in Italian. and the criminologist <laughs> is like those Mediterraneans I know 
It's like, what? I know that they're just like, they're both going through a rough time. Let's put them together. Like, I'm not saying anybody could have known. That it would come to this. That we'd be (laughs) covering this, a documentary about them 40 years later. Right. But like, holy shit. But also it's like, they're kind of impossible. And I I don't, I don't know. I don't understand that. I don't know. It's no one else's fault, but theirs, honestly. Even the narrator is like, they had a shared loathing of women. What's so crazy about that is that like, we're going to learn what they did to these women. And the fact that they would openly share their want to do this with each other, that you would say those things out loud to another person is so wild. And it's also, it's like a one in a million shot. Yes. That they would be together, that life would put them together in this way. And I say this as a person in a a family that was brought together through adoption. Mm -hmm. They're not blood relatives. You can't look back through like the genealogical line and be like, they just come from fucked up families. No, like this is not like inborn or whatever. Like they're not actually genetically related. What? You know the odds. I know. Like you couldn't uh, seriously that they both. You just found made a face other. that is like the perfect like going to commercial face for a document. What are the odds? I'm just trying to <laughs> not the best at math, but really, I know. they just like life just brought them together to be evil. That's what I'm like. I know. God, girl. I know. <laughs> to Amos, God, sometimes you just don't come through. You need a woman to look after you. Yes. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> it's a real song. Everyone, look it up. So Bozo starts a car upholstery business. Yes. Although he wasn't particularly well-educated, he was quite smart. He was capable of running a business. Indeed, he started his own business, auto upholstery. It was very successful. Matter of fact, the rumor is he did one of Frank Sinatra's cars. I guess that's a badge of like, look how good he is. Even Frank wants him to do his. Yeah, because like if you like Frank will have you killed if you do a bad job. <laughs> so right. I get like he's a pretty tough customer that that'll realize. Yeah, well, and to that point, there's rumors that he's connected to the mafia. This bozo guy. Uh, no, because they would have him if they knew what he was doing, they'd kill him. Can so, you imagine? Stop. No. Like I doubt right. the Frank thing is true. Like give me a break. But also, like if you're great at something, why can't you just go do that? Why can't that be enough? You know what I mean? I know. Like he's good at this thing. Like he's right. good at this car upholstery thing. And we also learned that he was obsessed with cleanliness and then the, the criminologist makes like yet another sweeping generalization that yeah. this is also about control which I guess in partly it could be but like it also serves him in the end we'll get to that but like he they say that he can change brakes without getting dirty to which my only question is what do any of those words mean the brakes in the car put gloves on <laughs> yeah. but also like what does he want a fucking metal right. like the, who cares the point is he's good at his job great whatever did I tell you the story about how two days ago Daisy and I went out for breakfast yeah and I spilled a little thing on my shirt oh yeah you told me this and Daisy with barely looks up from her meal she goes well that's why I tell everybody that you eat like an animal she's telling everybody <laughs> who is she telling Daisy who's everybody? who's everybody that's why I tell everybody that you eat like an animal what <laughs> what Daisy girl. (laughs) That's why I tell everybody that you eat like an animal. What did you, did you turn her and say, excuse me? What did you say back? I didn't, I don't believe I said anything. No, I was so shocked. I I guess the truth of the matter is all these years I've been waiting for somebody to say it. I kind of eat like an animal. And now that we have a dog that just eats like this yeah. and is covered in food and water at the end of a meal, I'm kind of yeah. like, that. that's that's Ooh. how I eat. Girl, same. That's pretty much how I recognize I eat. myself. Hey, look who, eats like, look who eats like a human. Yeah. Oh, wait. Even Daisy's like, she's like at the lunch table like, he did it again. You won't believe it. It was so embarrassing. I know. 
So embarrassing. So Bozo was older than Binky. Binky's yeah. still trying to be a cop. And I guess we should also say that Binky really looked up to Bozo. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing. Like, Whatever. maybe. <laughs> like, <laughs> he hates women too. I know, I know. Cool story, I, I, fucking I bro. Like, whatever. <laughs> Like you, you know what? You're absolutely right. <laughs> like, You're absolutely right. So now, so Binky can't become a cop. Right. But so now he starts lying. He had phony certificates made up showing that he was a graduate of Columbia University and had a degree in psychiatry and he was actually a psychologist. A psychologist in Los Angeles actually hired this guy and he was seeing his patients. He starts treating patients Excuse in Los Angeles. He he has he fakes a fucking degree from Columbia University, and some and like idiot sets up an office. Somebody hires them. Seeing people. I mean, this is so. I don't blame the patients. He was hired by another psychiatrist to take on some of his patient load. Yeah, and I'm not other, blaming the patients. I just can't believe it's happening. No, is it that easy? Columbia is a fucking Ivy League school. You can just like fake a like. Does nobody check a reference? You know why we live in the world where if you don't have a website, that's weird. I know. In 19. 77, they would say, what's a website? Right. So there's no <laughs> right. way to, it's yeah. like, if it looks, wow, it's an office. Like, there's a piece of paper. It just like, no, it, we didn't have the resources then. But you would think one, I'm going to trust my patients and their fucking mental problems uh, to I this guy. I mean, make one phone call. Yeah. Just make one fucking phone call. You know who answered? Fucking Bozo and right. vouched for him. That's what this all is. Columbia like, University. It's Bozo. <laughs> <they> were, <laughs> sounds like Krusty the Clown. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like, they're just working together. That's the other thing. Like, right. they could lie for each other they're like a team they're hating women together it also just takes such balls to make up a lie like that right i'm gonna fake these documents i'm gonna go go get a job like don't you go to jail if you get caught for that for i guess like treating patients yeah. i would think right i guess i hope so somebody says knows? he just had a gift he really had a gift for selling himself okay okay that's one way to put it well i'm like He's i've got confidence too but oh my god <laughs> yeah you, you know? don't say see me treating people no. <laughs> so but after like 10 years he finally gets into the police department wait wait, wait. yeah i was as gonna in, say as an unpaid volunteer which like great i love that people do that i know that we need that that's wonderful <sighs> but why can't you get a real cop job but also like, think about all the shitty cops we've covered over that's what Mark i'm saying fucking Furman can pass the test that's what i'm saying how can you not i don't understand because it seems like they just let everybody in <laughs> right i mean no honestly. tests no rules everyone's right. just fucking out here killing everybody right. so but also <laughs> mm-hmm <laughs> Summer 2020 wasn't that long ago, everybody. I know, I know. Also, was that always an option? Or did they just fight, like, that he could always have just always been a volunteer? Or or did they just say, he just keeps calling? Like, you know when, you're, when you're, like, a little kid and yeah. you're playing video games and they unhook the controller, they take the controller out of the console totally. and you think you're playing? <laughs> yeah. Not like anyone ever did that to me totally. growing up. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm good at video we games. We don't usually get GP childhood trauma up in here, but you know what? I'm here for well, it Well, he's today. an asshole now, so fuck him. Oh, but not like, your dad. No, 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 not okay. my dad. No. <laughs> no. My dad used to hear me playing, like, Super Mario down in the basement and he always loves telling the story of like whenever I would fall I'd go oh man <laughs> he's like we could hear it in the kitchen he was like it was the cutest thing he's like I felt bad that you kept losing but it was adorable oh man oh man but yeah he finds a desk job to pay the bills and then I was like wait I thought he was a fake psychiatrist That's like, I, I was like I guess he was fired for being I, a fake like totally. they're just blowing right past this he also has a girlfriend I like, was gonna say moves in with her I mean at least Bianchi is moving out from fucking Bozo's house but then not so fast I know because then they decide let's be pimps which is <laughs> 
over. I know. Let's just, you know what? Let's just be pimps. Some spaghetti and meatballs, they decide. The psychology thing isn't working out. I don't really like my desk job. Let's be pimps. Let's, great. So they do that. But pimping prostitutes wasn't enough for them. To satisfy their own sexual cravings, they prowled the streets using a tactic inspired by an infamous criminal from the 1940s. So they start posing as cops to manipulate sex workers into giving them free sex. By basically saying, like, I could arrest you or... So basically they would take these sex workers back to their house, have sex with them, and then as the person is looking for payment, they're pulling out their cop badges. Right. Being like, just consider yourself lucky I'm not arresting you. Right, exactly. Jesus. So that's how it starts. And very quickly it evolves or devolves into something horrible. So it's October 17th, 1977. They're cruising down Sunset Boulevard in a car, I guess, that looks like a Crown Vic, like a police car. Yes, and I want to point out they've already had the conversation. One of them said to the other one, I'd really like to strangle a sex worker while I'm having an orgasm. So they know what they're looking for in this night. They're looking to, like, make that opportunity happen. And I'm not defending them in any way, but honestly, again, what are the odds? When you find someone... What if you were defending them in some way? What if I was like, well, actually, can you believe it? Right. But what are the odds? Uh, like, they only fed into each other. They were like an echo chamber for each other. Because, because one of them had to be like, you know, this is a safe space where I can say I'd really like That's to choke I mean. a sex worker while I'm having sex with and her. And the other one's like, you know what? You know, you're seen, you're heard, and you know what? Let's do you this. You know what, chosen family? We are in this fucking together. I mean, you know what honestly. I mean? Like, and when, you, and when you find someone where you can, like, be yourself and right. yourself is a monster, like, that, I just can't believe that they found each other. And like I this. know that their mothers are not responsible for this, but their mothers were like, hey, my kid's a fuck up, your kid's a fuck up. They might be murderers. Let's put them together. Let's put them together. You know what? One rent's better than two. I get, I, God you know? damn it. Our next victim is Yolanda Washington. She's 19 years old. She's a sex worker and she's a single mom. And like, they're literally just driving down the street looking for any vulnerable person. Yeah, fake badges in hand, ready to yeah, go. Yeah, they get her in the car by flashing their fake badges. Mm-hmm. They get her in the back seat and Bianchi just strangles her while the other one is driving. Right. Just kills her right there just in the car. Just kills her. She was discovered the next morning and they start accelerating immediately. Yes. And we should say like, these are the hillside stranglers. They're just dumping these people like in neighborhoods on little hillsides. Right. They're they're not trying to hide the bodies at all. Right. So two weeks later, also on Sunset, they're going to the same spot. Judy Miller, she's 15 years old. She's 15 years old. She's a runaway slash sex worker. Yeah. They lure her into the car, fake badges. Like their MO never changes. Just like what they end up doing to these poor women does change, but it's all the same. Like, hey, I'm a cop or a fake cop or whatever. Yeah. They lure her into the car and they take her back to the car upholstery shop and they violently assault her and they strangle her and they kill her and then they put her body near a residential street. They want these bodies found. They want the bodies to be seen and they say when they find her body detectives noted the lack of drag marks on her body that gave us a kind of an indication that there might have been two guys because if you have a dead body and you're lugging it around it's very difficult and if you do that you usually will have leave marks on the body if you're dragging the heels but she was placed in an area and that's where her body was found even if the person is small, bodies are heavy. Right. And most people will drag their bodies to wherever they're leaving So they're them. like, okay, there was two people, took her from the car and like put her here. Exactly. So now they know they're looking for two people. And they also find a fiber on her eyelid from the blindfold they used on her. Jesus These Christ. fibers actually become important down yeah. the road. I was shocked. I was like, we have a lot of fibers for 1977. That's I know. great news. I know, because it's like way before DNA or whatever. But yeah. like, I, if you find any piece of evidence, I would imagine you're like, let's just take it yeah. and stay it and hope that someday it's useful. Because I guess it's not DNA, but you can still test the fibers and see if it matches something yes. from, you know. Yes, yeah. 
So a few weeks later, they strike again and we're told it's, quote, a complete change of pace because now it's not just sex workers. I think they're feeling what someone would say is like more confident, like they don't have to go to people who are too vulnerable or would be like scared of cops or whatever. Right. So this is Lisa Kasten. She's not a sex worker. She's 21. She's a dancer with the L.A. Knockers. What? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know what the L.A. Knockers are, but they say that she had a really good career. Basically, she's walking to her apartment and they do the same thing where they pretend to be cops. They get her to come to the upholstery shop. They rape and murder her. Right. And they, like, dump her in the bushes on a street in Glendale. Yeah. And we're going to get a lot of victims here, and then we'll get back to trashing these people. I just want to be able to say their names. We're going to get a lot of victims, and, and, right, we'll get back to information. Like, yes, we'll get back to trashing them in a second. But, like, the thing to pay attention to is the close proximity of these murders happening. Lisa Kasten was November 5th. We're now at November 9th, four days later. Yeah. They pick up 28-year-old actress and model Jane King, and they pick her up, like, she's just waiting for for a bus. Like, she's sitting on a bench. And they take her to the shop. They rape and strangle her. They dump the body on the freeway in Glendale. Right. So it's four victims in as many weeks. Yeah. Right? This I is mean, fast. I, you know, it's so wild. Like, I've heard about the Hillside Strangler. I know. All of my true crime life, I had no idea this was all happening so at the same time. And that they were so fucking depraved. You yeah. know what I mean? That guy, Jeffrey, with the pink bow tie, yeah. the guy with the three-piece suit, he's saying, and it's true. And I think one of the things that made them, in the end, terrify Los Angeles, there was no pattern. They literally, like lightning strikes, they had an appetite. And that appetite knew no bounds. They just had an appetite and that appetite knew no bounds, which is like such a fucking gross way to say it, Jeffrey. But the point is, there's no MO. There's no way of saying he or they are targeting this kind of community or this kind of person or whatever. There's no demographic. But it's also like they just hate women. Like they hate young women. Right. Women are the the only ones who need to be scared. Yeah, it's interesting that Trashy Jeff said that because I'm like, oh, I think their pattern's very clear. Right. Like they're just taking advantage of people who are listening to cops or whatever. Like to me, I'm like, no, Jeff, you're wrong. (laughs) So that was November 9th with Jane King. Now we're at November 13th. And this one, when we started this today, I was like, this one made me sick to my stomach. I mean, every murder is awful and terrible, but this time it's two children. They were children. Children. So Sonia Johnson and Dolores Cepeda, they're 12 and 14. Jesus Christ. They spot them getting off a bus after a a Sunday afternoon of shopping. And like, this is what I always say, and this is why the kids stuff is always so hard for me, because kids are, they are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. They are taught They're to obey authority. Targets. They're such easy targets. Ugh. You know, and, and nobody knows for certain, but they assume that they approached the two young girls and, you know, presented themselves as cops and yeah. said, you have to come with us. Your and mom course, said you have to come with us. Exactly. You know, some... And so they get in the car, they go, and this time they don't kill them instantly. Right. This time the victims were imprisoned and held captive in Bono's home. The two schoolgirls were gagged and bound, then repeatedly raped over five days. They're raping them and they're torturing them the whole time. And all I can think about is like... As a parent, if like if you found out later that they were kept alive for four days, four days that I'm sure these parents are like searching and suffering and doing everything they can. They're, they're sick about it. The idea that there was four days that like there was a possibility. These guys don't ask for ransom. No. They're not trying to make money. All they care about is like the torture and the suffering yeah. of these children. Yeah. And it is, it is 
it is. It makes me sick. Yeah, it's like insatiable for them because yes. six women and girls are abused and dead in barely a month. Where yeah, it's barely a month. I ju- I'm sorry. Four days they kept these girls alive in their house. I know. Four days. I know. What these girls must have been saying, screaming, cry- to live with that kind of suffering mm-hmm. around you for four days and be completely immune to it. You have to be not of this earth. Yeah, like there's a darkness in you. Yeah. There's there's you know it's a forty five minute episode. So we don't really get into it. But, like, think about that. I know. To live among that suffering for four days. Right. To just wake up and go to sleep, eat your dinner, watch a TV show while these girls are suffering and dying, right, in your in your living space. And I wonder if it was just, if they hadn't found each other, yeah. if it would have gotten this far. Right. Because they felt safe. They encouraged each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because they were together, they thrived, for lack of a better term. And I just wonder if they didn't find each other, would things have escalated? the way they did. I mean, and they probably couldn't have pulled off what they did alone. Exactly. You know, there's just no way. Exactly. So this is where they're getting more and more brazen, right? Their victims were no longer just randomly picked off the streets. On the 20th of November, two days after their last killing, Bianchi called at the home of 20-year-old art student Christina Weckler. Christina Weckler had met Kenny Bianchi. They lived near each other. She lives down the block. They were neighbors. Yeah. So he tricked her into believing, like, I'm finally a cop now. Because he was, like, screaming to everyone that he couldn't wait to be a cop. And she's yeah. like, okay, creepo, like, whatever. Yeah. But he tells her her car was in an accident without her. And she needs to come down to, the like, the station and kind of, like, and figure it out. And I'm like, did Becca Hines crash into another parked car? <laughs> <laughs> Fam, in case you missed it, my sister used to crash in a park. Sorry, Becca. I never come for Becca that way. But when I thought, how else could her car have been in an accident if she wasn't in it and she no, wasn't ma'am, there? No, ma'am. Hear me out. There's a young woman. Her name is Becca Hines. Sure. She crashed into your fucking car. And look, she does this. I know. We have it on it's good not authority. You, it's her. She that she's that. made her way from Cape Cod. I'm telling to you, Los she showed me once how she would like look away from. Yeah, the, like what is she doing? She's looking into the rearview mirror to put on her makeup while okay, she's Becca. driving. <laughs> I don't think she still does it. She's she a mom. Better... And she's a very good mother. But like, <laughs> I, I just remember being like, "Girl, you, you did what now?" Mascara. Mascara. I've poked myself in the eye, standing firm in my bathroom I with know. the mascara. Look, driving nobody, in the car. Nobody was injured. It may have happened to. It's or like three mailboxes times. and a couple fender benders with parked cars. No, I know. One, no harm, no foul. I know. But right. Still. But did like, Becca Hines crash into a car? Dead. Like you forever. did that once. Right? I, I know. Right, Becca. <laughs> Happens one time. Oh my god. Also, I'm talking a lot of shit for someone who doesn't drive. I would be doing this every single day. That's true. So I and I know that. I completely I am completely that's why I'm so scared of it. Oh my god. Driving is great. I love driving, driving so much. Wait, you have control over a moving machine. I know. And then you get on a highway and everyone else does. How are you trusting society this I way? I know. It's I don't know. You just like, get there's used a lot to of it. trust that goes into it, trusting other people that they're not gonna be it's, a, it's an enormous machine that you have control over. Most people don't want to die. So I think a lot of people take the responsibility seriously. I guess. My sister not being one of those people. She, I'm sure she grew out of it. <laughs> I feel bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, it probably only happened, what, like two or three times? Two or three. I mean, that's a lot of times to park to drive into parked cars. I'm trying to make the 
make us better in any way. Two, three times. Two, three times. So they take her, of course, they trick her into getting into the car. They take her back to Bozo's house. And now they're experimenting because they're bored. They they use the word bored. Bored. They're bored with the way they've been committing the murders up to this this point. This made me sick to my stomach. I know. Honestly, I want to throw up. Like, if you have kids in the car, please don't, like, put on... Spongebob or something. In the car? I guess. <laughs> Maybe not Spongebob. No. I meant the, the... Spongebob podcast. The original cast recording of the Broadway musical Spongebob Squarepants. Okay, great. They put a plastic bag over her head and then put a gas pipe into it. The killers also injected Christina's arms and neck with air and cleaning solutions to try and induce a fatal embolism. It's Jeffrey Dahmer shit. Yeah. That's what he was doing, trying yeah. to turn people into zombies. Yes, like, yes. It's, oh, it's, my God. I mean, he's just torturing and killing these women. <sighs> he's just torturing and killing this this girl who knows him. Like, That's she, the she thing. Know, she knows him. Yeah. What would it, I can't imagine how depraved you have to be to do that. Like, a person who can call you by your name. Uh-huh. You know what I There's, mean? Yeah, like, they don't see women as human beings. Right. But, like, that must be so humanizing. Like, you know her. Right. And you know and that... She tr- Trusted you. I, I, I mean, I know we'll never make it make sense. No, I know. I, I know, know no matter how many times we talk right. around it, or we'll never get in the heads of the people who can do things and like thank this. God. I know. And there are definitely days that I'm like, I've had enough for I know. today. I you know. know what I mean? It's a, it's a lot. It's, it's a, a lot. It's a lot. But you know, the commentators are also telling us that, like, essentially, these guys, the killing isn't enough. They have to watch them die slowly and yeah. painfully. That's what they're getting off on now. Right. Then they dump her body on a hill in Highland Park out in the open. These bodies are out in the open. So, like, that's how brazen they are. That's how they, how untouchable they think they are. Right. But at the same time, now they realize that the heat is kind of on because they've been doing this for a while and they're putting the bodies in plain sight and everyone's yeah. buying guns to protect themselves and whatever. So, they start venturing further from home, they say. Like, yeah, They go 25 miles away. They go all the way to the valley. I gotta tell you, Which all like, this... It's not that far, is it? These documentaries will go out of their way to throw shade at the valley. Yeah. Every single time. Who produced time. this? That kid from the bling ring? <laughs> Jesus know. Christ. I started Googling pictures of the San Fernando Valley because I'm like, it sounds nice to me. Yeah, it looks d- pretty. Didn't someone? Didn't the realtor and the bling ring say that like that's when you know you've made it? Totally. That's Is that the, right or that's no? That's where the Patrick Harris's live. Neil and his husband David. <laughs> 25 miles away in the valley, it's eight days after their last murder. They spotted 18-year-old business student Lauren Wagner driving home. They uh, followed her, and she parked right across the street from where she lived. They stopped her, pretended they were police officers, and said they would have to take her in a car, and she resisted. She kind of vocally resisted. So they pretend to be police officers again, and they basically say, like, we got to take you downtown. We got to take you downtown in our car. And she resists vocally. Yeah. This is the only, I mean, I don't know if ever, if there were witnesses for all the other ones, but, like, this is the first one that we hear. This is the first victim that we hear was like, I'm not fucking going she with She calls the scene. Exactly. She calls And the they scene. basically forced her into the car. Right. They overpowered her, but they didn't take her to their shitty murder torture house. They took her to the car upholstery shop. And, again, they're escalating. And, we'll, like, let's just say it. They tied her to a chair and electrocuted her. Yeah. They cut the cords off of things and then taped exposed wires to her arms. They, like, used what he would work on the cars with yeah. on this port. To electrocute her. Like, so, Lauren is found right away, which is exactly what the killers want, right? Yeah. Like, that's part of the thrill for them to brag about it and show off. So, when Lauren's parents call the cops, the cops know right away this is connected to the other murders, right? Yeah, because there was also burn marks on the on the, on one of the other victims as well. 
well. Yeah. And so, like, just how how the bodies are found, they're, they're putting it together. ligature marks around the neck, the wrists, the ankles. Right. It's all the same. Also, it's, like, all in the same county, and it's only been happening for eight weeks. Right. It's happening, like, constantly. Right. So, the press is all over it. And the press is saying the hillside strangler singular. Right. Which is what I always thought until like recently when I watched a, a trailer for the Hillside Strangler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there was a witness with Lauren. Right. And the witness says, no, 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 no. I saw two men putting her, dragging her into the car. She caused the scene. There were two of them. The police had been thinking that anyway, because remember, there weren't any drag marks on the body. So right. it, it didn't seem like it was one person, which is crazy because I don't think we've ever covered another documentary. I don't think we know of another case where it was two people working together. I could be wrong about that, but like this is so... Not in this way. No. For sure not in like, this way. Totally conspiring, working together, basically like committing the murders and the abductions together. Together. Yeah. So the cops form a task force. After the murder of Lauren Wagner, the detectives, we got together and said, we got a serial murder. We got a big problem. Big problem. The chief wanted a task force. The media wanted a task force. So we got a task force. We got 100 policemen. The cop who tells us about this task force doesn't sound happy about creating it. Because he's like, the press really wanted it. The yeah. families really wanted it. So, okay, hold on. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, great. But I gotta say, like, in, even just his tone where he, he's talking about how, like, you know, it was after the death of Lauren Wagner that we realized we had a big problem on our hands. She was the eighth victim. She was the eighth. The eighth victim in eight weeks. Like, yeah. I don't understand how... And they're all being killed in the same way. Right. They're all being dumped in public areas. They're all young women. Why is it taking <laughs> until the eighth victim to be like, well, should we look at this? Like, a task... Like I know. And remember, just for context, like, where you are, you're right. in Los Angeles in the 70s where there are, like, 10 serial killers running around. And, like, they don't focus enough on how terrified the public actually was. This yeah. is the only moment where we get like a sliver of that. It's all over the news. It's front page news. When Lauren Wagner died, when the press found out about her death before the cops were even able to tell her family, they were on her front door, pounding on the door, being like the Hillside Strangler killed your daughter before the parents yeah. even knew she was dead. Harassing them. You know what Harassing I mean? Harassing them. Like, and I'm just saying like, that's how big of a story it was. Yeah. It was the thing that everybody was talking about. And whenever these cops talk about like, well, the public really wanted us to solve this. So I guess we figured we would put together a task force and do it. Why does it take that kind of pressure. Right. You know what I mean? And now, decades later, just lie to me. Right. At, at, the, you know, at, honestly. at this point, just lie to me and honestly. say, I fought for the task force. Right. Who's going to stop you? You're on this <laughs> shitty documentary. Like, this is your opportunity to tell us what you wanted from day one. Yeah. From day one, you knew it was two people. Mm -hmm. From day one, you knew it was a serial killer. And you, you wanted the task force. You begged for it. But to say, like, the press was really... I what a bunch of dicks. They really wanted us to solve this thing. So exactly. we did. You didn't do me any favors. You did right. the right thing. Why do you want a medal for doing your fucking job? Right. And then like throughout this whole time, what are we calling them? Bozo and Bianchi? Sure. The two killers are elated that they're like newspaper famous. Right. They love that everyone's terrified. They love that they caused the panic. Yeah. And that everyone's talking about the killings that they did. And at the same time, so now they want to like change it up a little bit because yeah. they're all over the news. So they want to do what they can to make sure that they can keep torturing and killing women. Exactly. But they also framed this in a way of like they were also getting a little lazy. They didn't want to have to go to the effort of going out. They wanted to make it easier for themselves. And going out actually was quite a risky thing at this time because this was a ruse that they'd used several times. So it was a combination of awareness of risk and laziness on their part. Basically, they don't want to go out and find their victims. They want to bring their victims now to them because it's just it's the less work for them. Yeah. That way. So they call a sex worker and pose 
as a client. Can I just say, we are told they call an escort service Mm -hmm. and are sent a 17-year-old girl. Named Kimberly Martin. So that is... Sent a 17-year-old girl? How is that legal? I I mean, I don't know if she was saying... Like, do we know now that she was 17, but she might have, like, to get that job, maybe she lied? maybe. Because if no one is checking, is he really a psychiatrist? Yeah. I don't know if this escort service is checking to make sure everyone's of age. I agree. And the cop says to us, as soon as she opened the door, she realized she had made a mistake. I said, did you want to rephrase how you fucking I know, said that? I know, I know, the I know. The casual know. victim blaming of as soon as she opened the door, she realized she'd made a terrible mistake. What? No. No, she went She went on a job and she showed up. The only people responsible here are the fucking killers. Yeah, I, she made a we mistake. We get it again. We get it again. It's the casual victim blaming of like, she made a mistake. And it's also like, she was just told where to go. Right. Do you know what? It's not She's like she- She's just doing her job. She, and it's just like, I don't understand these right. fucking men. But we should also point out that they had found an abandoned apartment in their neighborhood. That's where they called Kimberly they, too. They rented this apartment specifically to torture and kill a person. And yeah. They did it to Kimberly. And I'm like, I get, and I mean this truly technically as like a technical murder question. Uh-huh. Why would you change locations? If it's working out for you at your murder fucking house, why are you going to a new location to do this? Once again, we'll never get inside I, I was the mind. I have actually never asked myself I that know. horrifyingly yeah. ghoulish question. I know. It seems like, but I guess what I'm saying is like, in a way, it seems like they just want to get caught. Yeah. Or something. I don't even think they want to get caught because they have any remorse. I think they just want credit for what they're doing. I think these yeah, two idiots, What are we doing all this for? Exactly. Like, nobody knows. We're in the paper, but nobody knows our names. Like, right. I think they can't believe they're getting away with it. They think they're that good at this. But now remember, Binky's a volunteer cop, right? Yes. So he is now going on ride-alongs looking for himself. He was asking questions about this murder and he was wanting to see the the dump site. So he was trying to find out what the police knew, essentially. He was trying to get some information. And he told many people, I could be the hillside strangler. He's actually saying out loud, hey, I could be the hillside strangler. Right. It could be anybody. He's Am suggesting- I right, fellas? Yuck, yuck. <laughs> I know. But what he's doing is he's asking questions to try and figure out what the cops know, right? Right. So they kind of lay low for a little bit. They don't do anything. They're hoping all of this will die down. Right. Two months later, they can't help it anymore. And Cindy Lee Hutzbeth, she comes into the auto shop for her car. Like, she's trying to get her car serviced. And again, the cop goes, big mistake. How could she have known? It's just the casual victim blaming. And I gotta, I gotta give it to our listeners. Like we are educated every time we say something that's not person first sure. or whatever. Oh my and I'm God. glad, I'm glad to quote be brought into the knowledge. As Absolutely, say, we try so hard to make sure we're saying it all right. These fucking cops learn how to say things that aren't this blatantly victim blaming. Big know. mistake. She came in to get her car service. Big mistake. What Big an mis- idiot. Like you know what I mean? What? I know. I know. And so, but like, again, she becomes victim number 10, they say. And so Binky's loving this. He's bragging to people. He's hanging out with the cops. He's riding along, searching for himself. Now, Bozo's not happy about this. Bozo's like, will you shut your big fucking mouth? Like, you're going to blow this for us. They have a major falling out. Yeah. And like, Buono, Bozo, whatever, kicks Bianchi out. Right. Which I don't know. I I feel like when, I mean, obviously, if you have killed this many people with somebody, you guys are in it for life at this point. I mean, talk about... And, like, also, you don't, like, I'm sorry, but you don't, like, you don't cast off the loose cannon. That's the Uh one you got to keep your fucking eye on. And the reason he's a loose cannon is because he's running his mouth? Yeah, exactly. Keep him close. That's what I'm talking about. Right? So he makes a big mistake. But at the same time, Bianchi's girlfriend has a baby. He's a dad. Yeah. Oh, his girlfriend. 
has a baby. I know. I know. But I think she's really smart because within months. Because she dumps him? She dumps him. (laughs) She leaves him. She moves up to Washington State. And Bianchi, because he's, quote, desperate to be with his son. Whatever. Moves up there, too. And so Bozo's doing God knows what. We have no idea what Bozo's up to. But suddenly the hillside killings just stop. But they don't really, because what happened is that Binky is a nightmare. So Binky went to Washington State. Now the killings are just happening in Washington State. On the 11th of January, 1979, Bianchi offered to pay two university students, 22-year-old Karen Mandick and 27-year-old Diane Wilder, $100 to house-sit one of the properties that he was guarding. He, like, lures them to a property that he's managing. He wants them to, quote, house sit for a hundred bucks or whatever. Right. Which, again, is like, ooh, easy money. College kids. Exactly. Like, it's just they're, he's just luring them. Right. And, like, we're told that they don't know how, but he lures them into the basement where he strangles them. And it's a real sloppy crime scene because he's by himself. It's two women against him. He manages to kill them both. And then he masturbates on one of them. It just wasn't the same. It just he wasn't couldn't the- get it up because his cousin wasn't there. Right. And that's the truth. I know. I know. Like, you sick fuck. You sick fuck. And, like, it takes them five seconds to be like, uh, has anyone seen Karen and Diane? Nobody has. Where were they last seen? Oh, at this weird creepy guy's house. He's arrested immediately. He's arrested immediately. Because the the employer is like, oh, he's right there. It's that that guy. It's that guy. Bada bing, bada boom, he's arrested. But, like, I guess he's been thinking about what would ever happen if if he were to get arrested. Oh, God. He's been thinking about it for a long time. You know, they stay up at night in their bunk beds. (laughs) What are we going to say? What are we going to do? What are we going to say? He claims that the killing wasn't done by him, but done by his second personality, Steve Walker. So he's claiming that he has another individual in his head who's telling him to do particular things. He's now saying that it wasn't him. It was his alternate personality, Steve Walker. Yeah, sure, Jan. Steve Walker. Where does the name come from? Who cares? Exactly. So the thing is, he has a California ID. Right. Right? So Washington State calls California. Yeah. And they check out the address because this dude updated his ID by writing his new address on the ID. Every time he moves. So like, so LAPD is like, wait, this guy that you have in custody just killed these two women. And they look at the address and they're, they're like, uh, he lives on the same street. He lives next door to Christina Weckler. Right. The woman that they killed with the bag and the gas tube. Oh, like they knew each other. Right. They and so knew the, each other. The cop in LA is like, look, it doesn't prove anything, but we got a guy in Washington who just killed two women who lived on the same street as a woman who was killed. It's at least worth going to talk to this and guy. And he's doing this alter ego thing. Right. Like, what's right. that all about? Yeah. So they see through the alter ego thing immediately and, and Bianchi cracks in a second. Yeah. But then he, like, he does the only other thing he can do he flips on his cousin like and he's like it wasn't me I didn't really do anything it was mostly my cousin and I was kind of just there so they make a deal right no death penalty and Bianchi has to testify but and he doesn't face trial because he confessed right yeah. so he has to testify against his cousin right but then so they make this deal to avoid the death penalty he agrees to testify against his cousin Buono but when the trial starts he's like you know what fuck that I got my no death penalty deal the problem was that he changed his mind about everything He did everything possible to sabotage that case against Angelo Bono. I'm going to try to ruin this case for the prosecution. the whole thing. It's the longest at the time, the longest run. The trial goes on for two fucking years. This guy, Bianchi, was on the witness stand for six months. (laughs) Trying to get, like, just in all of the pieces of trials that we've watched, just trying to get him to say the thing without saying, like, say the thing we said you were going to say. Why aren't you saying the thing you said we were going to say? We had a deal. (laughs) 
like, but saying that in, in lawyer speak, I'm I stand. know, I know. And but like in the end, none of it matters. They both get sentenced to life for fucking forever, forever. And then in September 2002, Buono dies in prison at 67 years old. Oh, bye, great. bye, <laughs> fucker. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's, I guess that's it. That's like the it. Hillside Stranglers, what a fucking case. Sick fucks, God. It's just so crazy. It's I just know. so crazy. I know. It's unbelievable. They're dead or dying, so that's yeah, fun. Yeah, so that's great. That's good. <laughs> Fam, come see us on tour. We're kicking it off. Our opening night, Boston at the Wilbur Theater, Friday, June 2nd. Then Charlotte on June 17th. Denver, July 13th. Chicago, July 15th. D.C., July 22nd. Seattle, August 9th. L.A., August 11th. And closing it down in New York City at Town Hall. There we go. August 26th with our Broadway dancers. It's going to be wild. I'm excited. I'll see you there. Can I say one more thing? Of course you can. My book party, I'm doing the official book release party for my book. The day the book comes out, September 26th at Sony Hall. Go to patrickfails.com to get your tickets. I'm doing a whole new show if you've already seen me on tour. The show I'm doing is the chapter about the weekend I spent with B. Arthur and how she was drunk and mean to me the whole time. There are more videos of me in college musicals. It's a whole thing. Come and see me. Be with me the day my book comes out. Jillian's going to be there. Other surprise guests will also be there. Really? Yes, I'm very, very, very excited. Okay. What are we doing next, girl? We are doing, oh my God, I Love You, You Hate Me, the Barney doc about Barney the Dinosaur. Oh my God. I know, on Peacock. So it's two Peacock, episodes, but cock, we're doing cock. it in one because oh, great. there's a lot of filler, honestly. Like, right. <laughs> it could have been one thing, so we're going to make it one yeah. episode. Yeah, it's uh, it's all about the Barney stuff. Oh, I'm so, all right, fam, stay tuned for the trailer for that, <laughs> our fun and ridiculous and hilarious outtakes. Yeah. I'm going to go eat like an animal. Okay, as usual. <laughs> as usual. As you always tells do. everyone. Totally. And everybody knows it. And everybody fucking knows it. All right, we love you, Vam. All right, we love you. Bye. Bye. This is Barney, and this is what he sounded like. Barney stands for inclusion, acceptance. You should love everyone. We all have Cheryl Leach to thank for that. As her love character was heading into the stratosphere, people couldn't accept that this was just a show. And, and so let the bashing begin. Some of the rumors that I heard, Barney hides drugs in his tail. They were violent and explicit. Death and dismemberment of my family. I love you, Barney. They were going to come and find me, and they were going to kill me. Just the dark side of this whole moment. That must have devastated Cheryl. There was something larger going on here. I don't think you could ever think somebody would go and shoot someone. We're going so fast. Are we? Oh, wait, oh, sorry. Wait. Okay, whoa. Do you want to just like start this whole, you want to burn it down and start it over? Not yet. Okay, great. Stay tuned. <laughs> really anyway, up on your I just, uh, real estate. No, I just like saying the Patrick Harris's. I think it's, it's a funny, funny joke. Thing. It is. It's very good. So I like it. I don't know how David Burke feels about it. Yeah. He's like a successful Talented Broadway right? actor. He's actually, I've seen him in a lot of things. He's very good. He's great. David Burke and Patrick Harris. <laughs> This is not an ad, but Neil Patrick Harris also like is the the face of HelloFresh. Oh yeah, and so uh, David Burka, who's a chef, and they they have this David like, Burka Patrick Harris. David Burka Patrick yeah. Harris. They like they, there was a picture of them like on some like some of the one of the recipes that HelloFresh sent. Oh yeah, and Mike goes, "Why is Neil Patrick Harris standing with the guy? This, why is Neil Patrick Harris standing with that guy? Like it's his boyfriend." I said, "Because it's his husband." <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, that's David Burka." <laughs> yeah, it's the Patrick Harris's. They right? live out there in the valley. 